everyone takes what James has to say and put it into their heart and put it to use in their everyday lives. Amen. Amen. Good deal. All right. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse number 1. Verse number 1. Allie's going to go ahead and read that for us. What does it say there for us, Allie? All right, and then go ahead and read verses 2 through 3. Saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. All right, so we see some wise men coming forward. Uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit to see maybe where these where these wise men came from. I gave the verses out to Daniel. Who did I? Who has the Daniel verses? All right, Carter, go ahead and read this for us. I think this is cool. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, "I have a dream that troubled me, and I want to know what it means." Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Alright, so if we look back with where the wise men came from, typically uh, they believe more from the east side, more of uh, Babylon or Persia. They would be ones who studied the stars, very much like a naturalist today. That's what we would consider, back then they would call them like wise men, magicians, sorcerers, and kind of in a roundabout way. So these wise men come before Herod, and they say, we've been, uh, We want to see where the king is. Uh, verses, let's drop down to verse number 7. Verse number 7. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream. All right, we're going to be back in Matthew. Matthew, here we go. So, Amelia, take us away. Thank you, Carter. That was a big reading. Uh, Amelia, verse number 7, take us away. Sorry. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. So Herod, who would be the king at this time, uh, Ask the wise men in secret about when did this star appear. We're going to see why as we keep going down. Verse number 8, uh, Melody. Okay. Um, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word. And that I may too come and worship him. Uh, how many of y'all believe at the time, if they believe that the king of the Jews was born, that King Herod realistically would want to go worship? No, no, no. Okay, so we can see there's some... Alternative motives here that are at play, some deception. Uh, king Herod definitely does not want there to be a new king in town. We're going to see a little bit later why uh, that's the case. But, I mean, we kind of can read between the lines. Verse number 9, go ahead and read there, Kate. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen as it rises. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Verse number 10. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Verse number 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Tonight, we are going to dive into three of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. I know that you guys have probably heard it over and over again, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But tonight, we're going to look at symbolically what those gifts would have meant for the time period that, that it was in. And maybe we will have a little bit more of awareness for ourselves. And realistically, if we can always remember the gifts that were brought to Jesus when he was born, uh, realistically, if we can continue to think about that and see the principles at play, it can really definitely change our lives. So let's go to gold. Why would it be so important for a baby to receive gold? Think about it. These wise men come, uh, they see a baby, and after we know baby Jesus, and they present him with gold. Why would you think gold would be something that you would present? I mean, seriously, we say it over, the, over and over again, the wise men brought gifts to Jesus. Why did they give these 
specific gifts to Jesus. Let's flip everybody to 1 Kings. I think this is cool. Maybe we'll get a little bit more contextually, uh, maybe historically, what gold would have represented during this time. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. All right. 1 Kings chapter 10. We're going to read through. Uh, this quick little passage, I'm going to need a good reader. We're going to roll through this the best that we can. Uh, good reader, with Brennan and McKenna, one of y'all two, one of tag team. All right, y'all tag team it. First Kings chapter 10, First Kings chapter 10. First Kings chapter 10, and go ahead and just read verses 1 through 13 for me. Y'all can need it however y'all want to do it. Y'all follow along. Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord. She came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying these large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. Will you stop right here? So the Queen of Sheba arrives to King Solomon's palace. We see there's some gifts that were brought to King Solomon. The dialogue that's taking place is. The Queen of Sheba had some questions. She had heard that King Solomon was wise, so she wanted to see if he really was wise. Every question that Queen Sheba was asking, Solomon was given an answer that was fitting. He had an answer for everything. We keep going down, keep reading. When the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, there food on his, on his table, the seeming of his officials, the many servants in the rows, his cutters, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in, in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are you men? How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom? Blessed be the Lord your God. And you can, we can stop right here because we're going to read this final verse. So you get to see once the Queen of Sheba acknowledges that who Solomon says he is as the king, as the wise king, this is what she does. This is so cool. In verse number 10, what does it say, McKenna? Then she gave the king four and a half tons of gold and a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did such a quantity of spices arrive as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And we can stop right there. I just want you guys to know... When the wise men presented the gift of gold to, to the newborn uh, Jesus, they were saying, he is king. He is royalty. He is worthy uh, of our authority to give. Uh, so whenever you think about that in regards to the gifts, the gold that was presented would be establishing this is the newborn king, the newborn king of the Jews. It's cool when you think about it. So we're going to jump down. Let's see what the next gift would have been. It was gold. Uh, and then frankincense would be the, for the next one. So let's everyone flip to Exodus. I think this is cool. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. So we see that. That's not the only reference we see that gold was given as a gift. We also get to see some instances uh, where gold was given to Abraham. There's many times throughout the scripture where we saw things like that. Again, it was just that establishment, that acknowledgement that he is worthy, that he is king. So here's my gold. Uh, as a gift that was presented to them. And realistically, back then, gold was even more scarce than it is today. I know that we typically don't see as much gold today, but really there's a lot more gold in circulation today than there was back then. So when gold was given, it was out of scarcity and it was out of acknowledgement that royalty, kingship, 
So it was really cool when you think about a newborn king, here is gold. Again, what would a baby do with gold? Again, the symbolic gesture that was given by these wise men. We're going to go to frankincense in Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump down to verse number 34. Let's do 34. Exodus chapter 30, verse number 34. I think this would be good. Uh, Exodus Exodus chapter 30. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I was going to read through a majority of the chapter, but I don't know if we'll have all the time. Let me just see if there's anything else I really want. Uh, let's just let's just do first number thirty. Let's go here. Uh, Evan, take us away. Exodus chapter thirty, verse number thirty-four. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, uh, I don't know that word, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts." And make a fragrant according to the incense. The word of the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the ark of the covenant and law and tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. I shall be most holy to you. All right, y'all. This is really cool. When we see this breakdown in Exodus, we're going to see some establishments, some things that were very important and very uh, particular taking place. If you get to see, the message that's being brought is this frankincense was only to be used by the high priest when going to the most holy place. Okay, we're going to see a little bit more why it's important, but just a little bit of information as we're, as we're going along. Kylie, you want to read verse number 30, uh, 37? Because that's what you can see in verse number 6. Where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto you the most holy, this frankincense mixed. Verse number 37. As for the incense you are making, you must not make any for yourselves using its formula. It is to be regarded by you as your holy dwelling to the Lord. Y'all, so the frankincense was not to be used for yourself. It was only to be used for the most holy, for the Lord, for God. So this, this specific mixture with the frankincense was only for the priest when going to the most holy part of the temple and only meant for God. Why is that so important? Let's go to verse number 38 because we get to see this was not a, a, a fragrance for all. Verse number 38, what would, what would take place if someone were to use it? That was not the high priest. That was not going before the most holy. Uh, takes away Jacob Blackwell. Verse number 38. Whoever makes any like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from his people. So there was almost like a, uh, what, would, what would we say with that type of thing? Kind of like a warning, a heed, like if someone were to abuse this, to use it for themselves, uh, then they would be cut off from the people. One of the things I think is so interesting when you go back through scriptures is how the high priests were used. For the people of the Israelites, the high priest would go before uh, for the people and go into the holy place of the, of the temple or the tabernacle at the time and would go and offer atonement for the sins of the people. So when they would enter in, they themselves would have to wash themselves clean. It was very much particular from what they would wear and what they would have to bring. And so when they would get into the most holy place... They would, what they would do is give atonement, an offering, a sacrifice for the sins for themselves and for the people. They were what we would call the go-between. You might be saying, James, what was so important about the go-between? What was so important about someone uh, going on our behalf? It was because there was no man who could ever be in the presence of a holy God. There needed to be a go-between. So in Old Testament, when we see these symbolic gestures of these sacrifices, we're going back in time, these temporary sacrifices, they were to give atonement for the sins of the people. So when Christ entered on the earth, and we get to see in Hebrews where we get to see that Christ established himself as the high priest, and the veil was torn from top to bottom, what was basically being said is, I, Jesus, is the go-between now. 
You don't need a priest. I'm the final priest. So when we see, this is cool when you think about it, because we can actually, and I was going to show some references, and I I didn't want to kind of go back and forth and lose you guys, but you actually get to see if we remember studying the book of Job. Remember when we went through the book of Job? And we get to see Job was regarded pretty highly in his time period uh, for who he was. I mean, everyone looked upon him, and it seemed like he was doing everything right, and all those bad things happened to Job, and, and lo and behold, his friends give him bad advice, and things continue to go on. But there's a point later on in Job's life where he basically is demanding God for a reason this is happening to him. He's demanding, hey, let me plead my case before God. Let me, I think that since I haven't been doing anything wrong while this stuff happened to me, I want to plead my case before God. And y'all know what ends up happening? Job cannot approach God, but God comes down to Job in a whirlwind and says, who are you, Job, to speak to me like that? Where were you when I laid down the foundation of the earth? Job, even though you don't think you've done anything wrong, you need an atonement for your sins the same way that everyone else does. A go-between. Y'all, again, this is really important when we look at it. Why would these wise men give a gift to a baby of frankincense? Acknowledging this newborn baby will be our high priest. Y'all, the symbolic gesture that's taking place here as we've been studying what Jesus is going to do later down the road to be our atonement, to be our high priest, to tear the veil from top to bottom. And we can even see in references in Hebrews if we were to go there about Jesus being our high priest. It's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. Why is it... uh, We won't dive into all that exactly just yet, but maybe when we get there a little bit later. Let's go ahead and flip to... Let's go to... John chapter 19. Can we go to John chapter 19? Let's just go there. Is this making sense a little bit so far? So we get to see here the first gift as we were to go here. Uh, Gold, the newborn king, royalty. We can go with frankincense. The high priest, symbolically, symbolically gesturing. The high priest, myrrh. Does anyone know what myrrh is? What is it? Myrrh, all right, myrrh, all right. It's interesting. How many times have you heard the account of the birth of Jesus, and you could probably even say it off the top of your head, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And how many times can we just know the answers of just saying gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and maybe not even know the weight of really what's taking place? In the same way, I'm just going to let you guys know, because we're talking about wise men here, and we're going to talk about knowledge and wisdom a little bit later and the difference between it, is just because you know the answers, it doesn't mean you know how to apply it in your life. If I were to ask you the three gifts given to the wise men, immediately probably some people would have said maybe gold or, or some of y'all may have known all three, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but you may not have known why that was important. You guys can know the answers of what it's like to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but if you have not yet willingly done it for yourself and applied it, it means absolutely nothing. It's important. It's important. We're going to keep diving down here. That third gift, myrrh. What, what is myrrh? Let's go to John chapter uh, 19. I'm not going to tell you guys what myrrh is. I'm going to see if y'all can pick it up uh, contextually what it is in these verses. John chapter 19, verses number 38. This is after Jesus died on the cross. After Jesus died on the cross. That way you know where we're at in this story. John chapter 19, verse number 38. Go ahead and uh, Carter, you want to read that one for us? Later, Jesus. Asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. All right, so taking Jesus' body, verse number 19. You want to read that for us, Jack? 
I mean, 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Whoa, whoa stop right there. Do y'all know who, y'all, does, can anyone remember about Nicodemus? Have ever heard about Nicodemus? Was he like the high priest or something? This is cool, yeah. So he was highly high up in the church. We get to see Nicodemus is the dialogue. Remember when Jesus, everyone knows John 3.16. That was said to Nicodemus. So this is cool, all right? We're, we might even, now that someone said that, we might go back and look at some of that. That was good there. So again, Nicodemus, this is who we're talking about. We should know some things about Nicodemus. But Nicodemus was told by Jesus, for God so loved the world. That whole reference in John 3.16 is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. So let's see what Nicodemus is going to do here. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mission of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Myrrh? was brought when Jesus was dead. What do y'all think myrrh possibly was used for? What do you think? That was good. That's close. I mean, you got to body. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's a big plug for Silman right there if you don't want to already go. All right, that's good. All right, here we go. All right. So, y'all, a, a pre, uh, preserving the body, something that was done uh, for a burial, Tell me why a wise man to a newborn baby would offer myrrh. Think about it, y'all. The gifts don't really make sense. But when we backtrack here, establishing here's gold, newborn king. Here's frankincense, my high priest. Here's myrrh, my suffering sacrificial savior. Y'all, this is crazy when you think about it. The one who is going to die for me here symbolically gesturing it. And you might be saying, James, all right, what's the big deal symbolically with these gifts? All right, you know, maybe there's some speculation where maybe some things uh, symbolize maybe something a little bit different or close to. But realistically and principally, it is the same way when we approach Christ, do we present him with gifts of saying, you're our king now. You're our high priest. You're my suffering, sacrificial savior. And again, you're going to be like, James, well, I mean, what are you really talking about? My question to you is, why was it the only the wise men that went and brought gifts to Jesus? Think about it, y'all. Why was it the wise men who did this? Was it not something? Did Jesus just all of a sudden, the, the plans of God all of a sudden said, all right, now let me send Jesus? Or was it maybe, just maybe, an Old Testament something again that was prophesied? Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. I think I gave that verse to Allie. Y'all, this is crazy, right? Did any of y'all believe that God all of a sudden came up with the plan, came up with the plan and said, all right, now time for Jesus to come? Or maybe, just maybe, in Old Testament, it was prophesied beforehand. Matt, uh, Micah, go ahead and read that one for us. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, I think it is. All right. So in Michael, we get to see a reference to little Bethlehem uh, will be the place where the mighty Savior would be born. Everyone flip to John chapter 3 real quick. We just have a couple of references. I know we're flipping a little bit back and forth. That's why we didn't go all through Job and we didn't go through uh, a couple other references because I wanted to save y'all's flips the best that I can. But John chapter 3, because it was referenced about the Nicodemus, let's just see about uh, Nicodemus real quickly. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3, verse number 1. I'm just going to read this. Y'all follow along the best you can. There was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was... What was his name? And he was a ruler of the Jews. Ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no man can do the miracles that you do except God. He is with you. Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Tell me why the ruler of the Jews wouldn't accept, wouldn't acknowledge Christ as the true king of the universe, the true high priest, the true sacrificial suffering savior of the world. And when Jesus tells them you must be born again, Nicodemus had never heard of that. How do we know that? Verse number four. You want to go ahead and read that for us, Ben? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Keep reading. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are one is born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And drop down to verse number 16, just so everyone can hear. This is, again, a part of this dialogue that's taking place. Jesus crying out to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a ruler of someone who should have known better, a ruler who would have read the prophecy of Micah. And what do we get to see here? Telling him, you must be born again in verse number 16. This is so cool. What does it say, Ben? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of y'all know that to be true? Yeah, we would say we know the answer. Yeah, we know that to be true. Do you know that personally for you? Have you experienced that to be true? Difference. We're going to see why. Flip the James. Flip the James. Again, Last, uh, we have two, only two more flips. James, and then we'll, we'll conclude. James, we're building up to it. So help me out here. Gold. Gold would be what? What would we say? Gold uh, symbolically would be gesturing to what? Anyone help me out? What about the gold? What about the gold? He's worthy. He is worthy. He is king. All right, royalty. All right, establishing the newborn king, the king of my life, uh, specifically. What, what do we get to say about frankincense? What would frankincense be more for? The most holy. Yeah, the most holy. Our high priest. That's good. And myrrh. What do we got with myrrh? Myrrh would be what? Yeah, sacrifice. All right, that's that's good. All right, again, James chapter four. James chapter four or three. Yeah, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We are going to make a quick little parallel with the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We're going to see why that's so important. One, when we're looking back at Nicodemus, Nicodemus, we would say, was very knowledgeable. But Nicodemus lacked wisdom. Meaning Nicodemus knew the right answers, but Nicodemus didn't know how to apply it to his personal life. Okay? Again, James chapter 3, verse number 13. This is all about wisdom here. Go ahead and let's read it for us. Uh, Nolan, welcome back. James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show his good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Verse number 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Verse number 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual of the devil. Keep going. Hmm. I'm sorry, but we did a state Christmas theme tonight. That's why the lights are Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. One, we need to stop right here. You, you, we always have to be very cautious, even when studying the Word of God, that we're not studying the Word of God for knowledge for our own self-glory. 
We have to be cautious to make sure that even in regards to the things of God, us just going to church, us just reading, us just praying, is us having a, uh, what is the best way you can put it, accumulating a stockpile of our knowledge, that way we know the answers. One, it's very important to know what the Word of God says, but if you don't personally are willing to apply it to your life, it means nothing. Because we get to see here wisdom that what's coming from above does not allow the individual to glory for self. Wisdom from above can only give glory to God. And if we think about it, realistically, just tell me this. Where did the wise men come from in our story about the birth of Jesus? Were they Jews? Do we know that? No. Where did they come from? More than likely from the east, Persia, Babylon. Which is also interesting because when the Savior of the world, who when we would see prophesied to be the king of what the Jews would say, the king of the Jews, it was first Gentiles that said, here's the newborn king. Here's the high priest. Here's the Savior. A Gentile, someone who we would say should not have known. Or maybe would not have been worthy. Y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. If a Gentile were to try to do the things of the Jew, the Jew would think unclean, not worth it. And how many times just because we've gone to church have we looked down upon other people who simply just because they don't go to church like we do? That's another area where just because we're accumulating knowledge, it doesn't give us a reason to establish ourselves to be thinking we're more righteous or more right with God or more whatever to look down upon someone else. Wisdom does not glory in itself. Knowledge does. Drop down to verse number, uh, y'all, this is so interesting. Uh, not that this is exactly a, a one-for-one example, but how many of y'all ever gone in, took an exam, and let's just say, what's the hardest class that you guys have ever taken? What's the hardest class that y'all have ever taken? Engl- oh, English? English? All right, all right. I just All right, I don't know about that plug for Silliman, if that's helping out there. All right, okay, here, so here we go. Let's, let's do something, something better than English, huh? Art. 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 Another syllabus. All right, what'd you say? What y'all want? Calculus? We'll do calculus. All right, hey, let's do calculus. Let's do calculus, all right? Is anyone in calculus or have taken calculus? Anybody? I got a bunch of my phone. Explain to me what calculus is. All right, no one. What's calculus? What's calculus? What is it? Light work? It's easy? All right, okay. If you have Terry White as a professor, it's not. Get out of my face. Oh, no, I Terry White by number two. All right, follow with me just that, just for a little bit. Again, this is not a perfect example. But how many of y'all ever, after taking a test or an exam, and you've done really, really well on the exam, the immediate first thought you had was, let me go tell the teacher, thank you. No. No. No, no. Why not? Why not? Why not? They didn't, put the they didn't, yeah, they didn't put the work. To st- all right, that's good. All right, y'all. Let me let me tie that in just a little bit. I wonder how many times in our life ourselves that God has been instructing us and God has been allowing us to learn more about Him, and the only thing we get out of it is to glory about our own test scores or to glory about what we are. In the same way, wisdom that comes from God doesn't allow itself to glory in yourself because true wisdom from God says, I'm not worthy to know any of this. Only because of you, Lord, are you worthy to give all my praise. A big difference. We're going to see why that's important in verse number 17. What is wisdom about? It says, uh, Billy, read verse number 17 for us. These last two verses. I think this is interesting. What does it say, Billy? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. 
than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of... Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, wait. did y'all catch that? Wisdom that comes from above, it has a word that comes with it, that is a word that as Americans, we absolutely hate to do. And do y'all know what that word is? Submit. Submission. True wisdom from above demands submission from below. What does that mean? Acknowledging, I don't know the answers. Or I may know the answers, but I have no idea to apply it for my life. What wisdom does is wisdom in its true form, when given from above down below, allows those who are below to be moldable by the wisdom. Y'all following with me? So if you yourself are not moldable, then you yourself are not able to receive the wisdom from God. Example, we can read through a passage of the Word of God. And if you are not willing to accept what the Word of God clearly says, you're not moldable, that wisdom is not for you. But you might have gained comprehensive uh, understanding of what you just read. An example we could have given again, uh, what were the three gifts given to, to Christ? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We may have even learned that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But if we don't understand the things like, okay, why was it important he was born in Bethlehem? Because it was said so in the Old Testament. It was said so by old prophets. Why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I've said it over and over and over again. Wait a second, a baby receiving gold for a king? Frankincense that only a high priest could use? And myrrh that was only used for burials? How much more does it mean now when we sing those songs? How much more does it mean when we think about the stories? This is crazy, right? Uh, the, the last, I guess, we'll, we'll flip down to... Uh, oh, go ahead and read. You can finish off that verse. I do think that's interesting, y'all. In regards to wisdom, I think we have missed it in some regard because we treat wisdom from God as if I ask it, I'm going to get it. And realistically, wisdom from above is only given to those who are willing to submit. Only willing to those who are moldable. Uh, think of it in regards to, uh, let's say, clay. I kind of think clay because the term moldable is cool. Y'all know how much easier it is to work with clay? What did you say? Oh, clay. Clay easily. No. No, no, no. Hey, let me, I'll give y'all an example here. When I went to Southeastern, I actually took a pottery class. We were to deal with the clay. If at any point when dealing with the clay, if it were to dry out, no matter what you were trying to do with the molding, it would crumble. But if you allowed the clay with some water on it, or if you had a spray bottle, if you continued to allow the clay to be moist, you could mold it in the way that you want it to mold. In the same way, when wisdom being given from above, if it's being prevented above to an individual who's not willing to mold or submit to it, all it's going to do is just crumble you. You're not going to be molded into what the wisdom would like to do in your life. In the same way when you read the Bible, how many times have you read the Bible and it doesn't affect your life? How many times have you gone to church and it doesn't affect your life? How many of y'all treat a youth Wednesday night like it's just another night? But yet in Isaiah it says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. But I can't find myself spending ten times reading his word a week. I can't spend five minutes praying to God without getting bored. Do you know why? Because we're not moldable. We think we've already got it figured out. God is just an additive. We like to know Jesus is king elsewhere, but we don't really want to see what it looks like for him to truly be king of my life. Tell me why it was the wise men who only went to see Jesus. Tell me why other people didn't go. Tell me why Herod didn't go himself. 
Y'all, this is going to blow y'all's mind. Let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Hopefully you are seeing this. I think if we can draw all this the best that we can, maybe you need to ask yourself, are you treating Christ, God, the same way that a lot of people do and just keep Him at a distance? And, I, and again, I, I, I hope you guys are understanding. I am not trying to be legalistic and saying that you need to read your Bible X amount of times a week. If you know me, you know I'm not like that. But what I do know is this. If you read your Bible and you're not willing for it to change your life and you're not actually molding and moving the way when you're reading His Word, it's nothing. It's pointless. It is like wisdom coming down from an unmoldable object, same fashion, okay? Uh, we keep going down to Matthew. Again, go ahead and read verse 1 through 2 if y'all are there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Cole, you want to read that for me? 1 through 2? Yes. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi, the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. And stop right there. Just so that way we can reiterate again, these... Magi, these what we would call wise men as we hear a lot of times, they came from the east. Sometimes we also get that confused thinking that they came from here, but there are people who came from the east, more than likely Persia or Babylon, as we get to see back in Daniel, because Daniel also talked about a lot of the, the stars and the symbolic and the gestures and the dreams, so we get to see why that's important. But verse number three, I think this is cool. Take us away, Nolan. Or uh, uh, Kale. Kale hasn't got to read. We'll just trade McDonald's. All right, here we go. Uh, Kale. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Alright, and verse number 4, and again, I just want to reiterate, these Magi's would be Gentiles, they're referencing a king of the Jews. Herod, who is a Jew, again, we can kind of give Herod the way out. Maybe the reason Herod didn't want uh, there to be a king of the Jews is maybe he thought his throne would be thwarted or taken away. But what about this, verse number 4, y'all? There's a reason we skipped past this. There's a reason we did. Billy, read verse number 4. When he had called all, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Y'all, who did King Herod go talk to? The smart people. The chief priests, the rulers of the law, people like Nicodemus. Did y'all know that? Y'all, this is crazy, y'all. The chief priests, the rulers of the Jews the ones who would have studied Old Testament. And here's what's interesting. Verse number five. Get this, y'all. Get this. What do they say? What does it say, Billy? In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Y'all. They knew the answer. They knew where Jesus would be born. But tell me why they didn't go see him. Y'all, this is crazy. Verse number six. And, the, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou not least among the prince of Judah? They are quoting Old Testament scripture about the king of the universe being born again, but yet their feet for themselves aren't willing to go give the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But it was a Gentile who went first, the Gentiles from the east who acknowledged Christ as king, as high priest, as their sacrificial suffering savior. The thing I want to tell you this is when Nicodemus was told the chief, one of the high priests, for God so loved the world, you can even see in the whole encapsulation of the mind, hey, listen, I'm not interested in people who want to know the answers or the people who just want to know what Old Testament and New Testament and all this type of stuff. I am desiring a relationship. I am desiring for anybody who is willing to come before me and say, you are king. You are high priest. You are my savior. 
And yet the high or the, the priest and the rulers of the Jews at the time knew where Jesus was to be born and couldn't get themselves to go for them for their own. And I say that with utmost importance in regards to the Christmas season. I hope and I pray that you personally have gone before Christ and has accepted Him as your King, as your High Priest, and as your sacrificial suffering Savior. Because you could might just well end up, especially in the way that we have churched here in America, be just like the priest and know all the right answers and have no idea or have any relationship from whom they were given from and miss it all. When we read down later in Scripture and we get to see how important it was when Nicodemus, think about it, y'all. When he puts that myrrh on the burial of Christ's body, I just hopefully you see this, guys. If we go back to John chapter 3, and we're closing out with this, uh, I'll hit the last points that I have here just for y'all's sake, and then I'll close out with that little bit of the story. But I do have this. I have the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And you guys have said it over and over. I'm not going to go again to what those symbolically would have mean. And I'm just asking you personally if you have done that to Christ. But I do think this is interesting. In the final verse of Matthew chapter 2 of the reference we were going to, in verse number 12, after they give the gifts to God, and we know symbolically what these would have meant for the time period to the people of the time, uh, verse number 12, it says this, "...in being warned of God..." In a dream that they should not return the Herod, they departed themselves to their own country. I have this. True wise men don't go back to Herod. Do you know why? Because when you receive wisdom from the Lord, you don't go back to your old self. Do you know why? Because you've been molded into something new. When we allow wisdom to apply in our lives, we're molded in a way where we don't go back to who we once were. In the same way the wise men don't go back to Herod. Another thing I have here, and this is a... Another reference. Uh, wise men acknowledge that they don't know everything. And then I'm going to go finally with this story and, and, and close out just that way you know. It's crazy to think when you look about who gave the answers of where Jesus would be born. It was the Jews, but then it was actually the Gentiles who went. Uh, these sorcerers, these magicians who ended up going. But just know that Nicodemus himself, as we read in John chapter 3, and I'm glad y'all knew who Nicodemus was. What did it say? What is the title it gave for Nicodemus? Do y'all know what it said? Or, well, not a hyper close, but what did it say? A ruler of the ruler of the Jews. Hopefully y'all see this. I want y'all to see this. Nicodemus, who previously had a conversation with Jesus, who would have known a lot of the answers, known the Old Testament, speaking with Jesus himself, and Jesus says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. you got to think Nicodemus' first response was, wait, how do, why do I need to be born again? Wait, I've already been born one time uh, physically. How am I going to enter back into my mother's womb and be born again the second time? And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you should have known this type of stuff already, but I'm going to break it down for you one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Nicodemus, ironically, down the line, carrying the body of Jesus with the myrrh, could you not see him carrying it saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Nicodemus would have been holding the only begotten son. I just want you to know whether you already think you know all the answers or whether you have no answers tonight and what it looks like to have a relationship with God, you can get right. Do you know why? Because it says that God so loved the world, not certain individuals. But I will say this, 
If you will not, if you're not willing to repent and turn away of your old self or acknowledge that you don't know all the answers, Christ will never be your king. He'll never be your high priest. And he'll never be your savior. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Pretty cool, huh? We will close out there. We will have Mr. Simmons. You can choose someone to pray. And uh, 